Ever wonder what motivates people to get plastic surgery? Did they regret it? What can we learn from the stories of plastic surgery patients? We're here to explore those questions and get some of the answers with my guest, Oakley, on the Plastic Surgeon Podcast. Hello, my friends. Welcome back, and thanks to our listeners for the amazing feedback. We have had so much fun so far, and look forward to more of your insights and suggestions. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts to help us get you more amazing content. On the Plastic Surgeon Podcast, we listen to plastic surgery stories of triumph and pain from real patients and providers to further understand why they would risk their life under the knife. I'm Dr. Javad Sajan, and my guest today is the amazing Oakley, who I've had the privilege of meeting and doing surgery for. Oakley, we're here to talk to you about your journey, how we came to know each other, the procedure you underwent, and how it's affected your life and those around you. So Oakley, the surgery I did for you is called a double incision top surgery with free nipple grafts, correct? Mm-hmm. Uh, Oakley, what's your gender identity? Um, I identify as a FTM transgender man. And um, where are you from? From Idaho originally. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Where in yeah. Idaho? Uh, southeast Idaho. Yeah. Did you have any siblings when you grew up? Yeah, I have a younger brother and a younger sister. Actually, I'm the oldest. Okay. Yeah, both mom and dad were with you when you were growing up? Yeah. Yeah. Both my biological parents, yeah. yeah. And what was your gender assigned at birth? I was assigned female at birth. Yeah. When and you, lived. Oh, God, sorry. No, please. You go ahead. Um, lived... Uh, essentially a like cisgender female life up until about 16, 17, thereabouts. Yeah. And at 16 and 17, is that when you first thought that your gender assigned at birth wasn't congruent with your gender identity? Um, it definitely was before that, but I think that was kind of the first times I was able to start to put words to it. Mm-hmm. Kind of, it sounds like silly looking back, but like growing up, I always thought like when I was a kid, I was like, oh, you know, like there was something that was wrong I, when I was born. Like there was a mistake. But when I hit puberty, it's just going to it's going to be corrected. Like I'll uh-huh. go through a male puberty. Like that's just what I thought. I didn't understand any of the words for anything, but that's like what I thought was going to happen, which sounds so weird looking back. But no, I was no. I was a kid. I was confused, you know, and yeah, I so, thought. Uh-huh. How yeah. old were you when you first started having those feelings? Like really young, like preschool young, honestly. Yeah. Like I started noticing differences and being in Idaho, there's just so little um, education and exposure, I guess. And so I remember like being, I had to been in like four or five or something and like having like a crush on this, on this boy. And I was like, oh, like, I think I just want to like be like him. Like I wasn't sure. I just like didn't have any words for like how I felt. I just knew something made me different than everyone else. So. Did you start changing your behavior when you were that age? Yeah. I mean, for sure. Definitely. Like I've always been a tomboy, Uh you know, like quote unquote, whatever. Um, And I remember, so I I was raised Mormon. So Uh very, very conservative, very traditionalist. I would, I would even, I would say fundamentalist for sure. Sure. Um, And so I would try to like, I'd take my shirt off. I have like really clear memories of trying to do like typical boy things, I guess. And I would Mm -hmm. like take my shirt off and go swimming. And I remember we had the neighbors threaten to call CPS on my parents because they're like, what is happening over here? Like, this is like not right. And like, it how, was, and I was so young. You? I was like five or six. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. No, there's just no tolerance for anything. Like, like the expectation in that culture. Cause in my hometown, 80, 84 or 85% LDS. So Mormon. Yeah. yeah. So very high concentration. So no one is like, no one looks different. No one acts different. Yeah. And kind of like the, I don't know, like the generalization is women are expected to be covered, like pretty much head to toe and everyone mm-hmm. wears shorts past their knees. Um, mm-hmm. Like I said, female birth people and you have to wear like certain, certain clothings in certain ways. Yeah. So yeah, no, there was no tolerance for being different. I've had some good friends who are Mormon and, and I, I learned a lot about it. And, you know, they, my, I remember my friends that were in residence, he shared with me that there were special clothing and undergarments yeah. you wore. There's so much to it. There's like secret handshakes, there's code words. Yeah. There's different levels. I mean, it's very, very exclusive and restrictive. And yeah. There's and just it, no, yeah. And then you have a temple card to mm-hmm. go into temple and you can yep. lose that if you're not 
congruent with yeah, the church, right? Exactly. Yeah. And then you can only go as far as the visitor center. Yeah. No, there's a lot, there's a lot that goes into it. And like, I have some definitely like strong opinions about it at this point. Like yeah. I've just been shown so much like hatred and contempt that I just, yeah, no, it's, there's a lot to it, but no. Sure. Yeah. I was, so, yeah. So what did, you, did, you, when, did your parents mm. start noticing you were quote unquote more tomboyish? Yeah, for sure. What, um, did, they, what did they do? Apparently they talked to my, I found this out more recently, I guess they started kind of like talking to other family members and like trying to like get the dirt on me. They're like, what is he up to? Like, I use like he pronouns in past tense. It just sure. like, it, make, it makes me more comfortable, more sure. firming for me. Please. So we're going to pretend they said he, <laughs> what is he up to? Like trying to get the dirt on me and like kind of see like what was going on behind the scenes. Cause I just, I didn't really talk to them. Like uh-huh. most Mormon kids in general, uh, don't really feel like they can go to their parents with much. Like there's, like I said, so many expectations of what you're supposed to be doing and like what it's supposed to look like. So um, no, the, everything was like really behind the scenes. Like, who were you telling your feelings to, or were you telling them <sighs> to anybody at school? Actually, yeah. So I, I played soccer competitively for a long time, um, up till college, actually, uh, until I started transitioning and like was not allowed to be on the team anymore. Um, but yeah, so definitely the people on my soccer team knew actually, which was it didn't go well for me. People in the small town talked, and they that's eventually kind of how they found out. Actually, is um, what, what did you tell them? So, yeah, it's complicated. Initially, I actually came out as a lesbian. There was a few different, like, kind of phases for me mm-hmm. in trying to, like, find myself, I guess. But the first thing I came out to them as was a lesbian when I was, I think, 16. Mm-hmm. And they kicked me out. Of what? They kicked me out of my house. Really? Yeah. So, yeah. how did you learn that being lesbian was a thing? Because your your culture and upbringing seemed like it was pretty hmm. uh, restricted, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was it internet. Was I it no, someone at not school? even really. It probably was mostly as weird as it sounds. We actually had a, a GSA club, uh, Gay Straight Alliance. I yeah. think is yeah. We had one of those in my high school. Um, mostly honestly in response to the suicide rates in Idaho, we have the last statistic, I, last statistic I saw was second highest suicide rate in the country. Wow. Yeah. Was which, that club shunned by other people? Definitely. Yeah. No, a lot of people, a lot of parents tried to get it shut down and like, no, it was hard because I, I actually didn't ever formally like join it because I was so scared of the repercussions and I was so scared mm-hmm. of my parents finding out, but little did I know, like people the word had already kind of gotten back to them so so you, so you you went to their meetings or how did you get in touch with the group um i was very visibly queer honestly like oh, really? to make a lot of generalizations yeah i was i was pretty like noticeably different and so i kind of gravitated started gravitating towards like alternative friends like i skated a lot in high school like i skateboarded and so i had a lot of friends that kind of didn't really fit in i guess and so mm-hmm. i started getting exposed to more things and hanging out with some people who were a part of that club and kind of just starting, started to get like some education, like second hand, third hand, I guess. Kind of. Now, now what, did you know? Did you were you hanging out with them because you knew they were a part of the club, or they were just in the circle that you felt most comfortable with? Yeah, definitely the the latter. Yeah, for sure. I just found myself not fitting into like the I like I said like before, kind of like the expectations, I guess, of that uh-huh. culture. Uh-huh. And I just realized that this, I just didn't, it didn't feel right. I I tried for so long, like I went through a lot of phases of really really trying and i think like my breaking point came when i looked to the outside the most like perfect like mormon that i was going to be and everyone was like the most happy with me that they'd ever been like people in my family and my church and that was when i was at my absolute lowest that was the most miserable i'd ever been in my whole life and i was just like well if this isn't making me happy like i don't want to live my whole life like this like i need to figure out like what is going to work for me. Cause I can't like, this isn't, it's not sustainable. How old were you when you, when that happened? That was about the time I came out. Yeah. I started kind of like piecing things together. It honestly was a whole pretty like convoluted process for me. Mm-hmm. Just trying to find like myself. There, was some, and, there was some back and forth. You had these yeah. friends, but then you really tried hard to mm-hmm. be a part of the crew. Right. But you just couldn't, it just wasn't you. Right. No, there was a lot of like layers to it. It's, it's hard to kind of like separate it all out into a timeline, but it was, it was very much so a process and, yeah, up until about the last, I'd say two or three years, it's been a, it's been a process. So. And when your parents saw you with alternative mm-hmm. friends and they saw you, you know, not identifying exactly as a female assigned at birth person, did they talk to you? Did they send you to converge? I know, and I don't believe in this, but it's very controversial conversion therapy, or did they try anything like that? So 
like when I said it's been a process finding myself, all yeah. of that has been a process too. So uh-huh. they did kick me out that first time. It was in the middle of the winter and so I was homeless. For, how did you decide? What, were, <laughs> what was your family doing? Um, like the direct, like coming out, like how yeah. did I do it? Yeah. <laughs> I made a cake. I thought it was cute on yeah. my birthday. I made myself a rainbow birthday cake. They were not impressed. So, <laughs> and so how, how yeah. did they see it? Was there a surprise? Um, yeah. I just like came upstairs with it and I was like, I made myself a birthday cake. Like, I think it said like, it was something stupid. I don't know. But that was the point was I came out with a cake and they were not impressed. And, and so yeah, your mom and your mom, dad, two siblings. Yeah. And you showed yeah. them the cake. Mm-hmm. And what, what did they say? They screamed at you. They yelled. How did they kick you out? Um, my mom wouldn't look at me <laughs> and, uh, didn't say anything to me for months. And my dad was the only one that really, really said anything. And he just kind of had said, like, you can't, you can't stay here. Like, this isn't like, you can't be here. And like, your siblings are going to be, there was a lot that went into the conversation. Like it definitely was long, but. So you had to sit down talking mm-hmm. with you. It wasn't a yelling. I'm going to get out mm-hmm. of my house. Mm-hmm. No, they've never really been like that per se, but it was, there was just a lot of things that have said that were said that have stuck with me forever. Like they didn't want me around my siblings essentially. And like being an influence on them sure. in their words, kind of like. So, yeah. so, so, I'm, so I'm trying to understand the <laughs> day you make a cake, you take yeah. it upstairs. Um, your parents are offended. Mm-hmm. Your brother and sister are not there or they're there. They were there, but there's not really a lot that they could do. They were really young and, they, and mm-hmm. yeah, they were kind of just like, honestly on like the sidelines and it's like the memory in my head, I think is kind of cloudy. Like I think mm-hmm. to a certain degree, like. I don't know, not to put any words to it, but I, I do think I, you know, kind of tried to like push it down a little. Cause it, yeah. Cause it was, it started a period of like homelessness after that. Um, unsheltered for only one day, but homeless for a while, couch surfing and so, so stuff you, like that. So. so your dad talked to you mm-hmm. and said, you have to leave. Was it right now where you have time to think or how did it? It was that night. Yeah. I left that night. Yeah. He, he told you to leave the house. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I shoved everything in a duffel bag and I, I spent one, one night on the street under did, a bridge. Did you have a phone or something? Um, you know, I don't remember. I don't think so. So they give you the option to stay. Do they say, okay, if you don't do this, you can stay or no, not initially. No, no. So that came later. So it like, it's super convoluted. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, So I was gone for a while. How did they they check on you? They look for you? Sort of. So it's, it was the whole thing. It's not, it's not great. So they, I think a teacher at my high school found out she told the oh goodness i'm losing the word for it but like the the officer that was in the school whatever the term is for mm-hmm. whatever his title was so and did, then he was like going to school when this happened i kept going yeah because so i just didn't really so know you were to, to school but nowhere mm-hmm. to live yeah so i was like i was under a bridge for one night and then i was with some friends and they were helping me they and their parents were helping me get to school for a bit and mm-hmm. um yeah and so the school kind of found out and went through their avenue and cps was starting to get involved and they were like what like what's going on here and uh my parents told them that i'd ran away and so they were threatening to arrest me if i didn't go back cps um, was in idaho yeah yeah and they they got them involved and they told them or the authorities in general basically just anyone any authority that they had spoken to school official or otherwise they told them that i ran away and um if i i was told if i didn't come back i was told by the officer at the school if i didn't come back i was gonna be arrested mm-hmm you know, whatever truth is in that, I'm not sure, but that's what I was told. And I was 16. So that was enough to scare me. So, so then um, you went back home. I did. Yeah. They, yeah. Took, they took you in. Yeah. Under conditions. Well, the well, conditions uh-huh. were, yeah, go to therapy. And I was like, that sounds horrible, but I didn't know how bad it actually was going to be. So kind of going back to what you said. Yeah. I, I was, I was sent to conversion therapy for really? a while. Yeah. That's not really something that I, um, like talking about like in sure. detail i guess but it was something that i experienced and um it's taken me a while but i yeah looking back i realize now that like, I, I deserved better that was that was i mean it was wrong to the core like it's affected me it's changed me forever like there's still so much internalized homophobia and transphobia that i deal with and it's taken me so long to like start to un- just start to unpack all that Wow. So, yeah. I can't believe that. Now, <laughs> yeah. when they took you in under conditions, mm-hmm. were they interacting with you normal or what mm-hmm. was the situation? No, my mom, I don't think I heard her talk to me. 
I think it was until I got back from therapy. Yeah. It was, there was months. So was, I, it was like two or three months. Did they send you to a camp or were you just like a daily session? So it was a daily session in the beginning. And then I ended up in like a, like a home. Like a, it felt, it was presented to me as being like, like a foster care situation, but that's not what it was like. Mm. Yeah. So. Was it sponsored by the church or was it an independent thing? Or you don't know. You know, honestly, to this day, I don't know. I don't know a lot of the details of it. Like, sure. A lot of that I've definitely like blocked out. Honestly, yeah. Like, looking back, there's a lot of things that have come back to me as I've gotten older and like finally feel more safe and comfortable. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, wow, there's a lot that I don't know. There's a lot of questions that I have unanswered. And I just don't know if I'm ever going to get them answered, I guess. Or if I even want to know or care anymore. I think it's just like as much as I can put it behind me. Of I want but you know what I mean? But it's like, as I've gotten older and like I'm working as an EMT and I have all these like goals and aspirations, I'm like, well, I want to use this to help people if I can, uh, of you course. know? Yeah. And I'm sure there's other people who are being forced mm-hmm. to do conversion therapy. Oh yeah. Or they're, or it's a similar situation. And I, and I know they listen to our podcast where their family is like, you have to do this mm-hmm. or else, right? Which was mm-hmm. your situation. And we don't have to talk about anything about that, your experience, but if you, if, you, if there's, is there anything you can, tell people what they should expect or do you know, do they, do they hit you? Do they just talk to you? What, what happens there? If you remember. Um, so it's hard to say because um, it honestly, it's, it varies a lot. Like mm-hmm. the word conversion therapy can mean a lot. Um, there's this documentary I recently watched on Netflix. I'm forgetting what it's called, but it did mm-hmm. a decent job of kind of explaining some of that, like mm-hmm. the variation that can happen. So it can be, as I don't want to say benign, but as benign as sitting and talking mm-hmm. and it can be presented to you as just like, Oh, it's talk therapy. Like, you know, or it could be as aggressive as you're in a home, you're in a building for an extended period of time in a camp, if you will. And there's, you know, physical violence. It, there's always emotional violence for sure. Obviously. I mean, it's the nature of what it is, but yeah. So it, it varies a lot. Um, so it's really hard to say, but yeah (laughs) for you were they were they talking to you was that the main thing that you were undergoing um yeah i would say the violence was like minimal in my case but you mean physical violence or emotional violence oh the physical violence was at a minimal yeah (laughs) so so the physical violence started when you were sent to this camp Mm -hmm. or something yeah i'd never been i don't think i'd ever been hit definitely not by like an adult or anything like i like I said, growing up in Idaho, so, you know, yeah. <laughs> it's hard. So I, I definitely had been like beaten up by kids at school before, yeah. but that was the first time that I'd, I think from my memory, at least that I'd ever had like violence from an adult. Um, so you were 16 mm-hmm. and then, so was this during the school year or was the summer thing? It definitely was during the school year. Yeah. So <laughs> like I said, it's, it's honestly, it gets blurry. Like right sure. around that point, stuff starts getting kind of blurry, uh-huh. which is looking back, it's scary to be mm-hmm. honest. Mm-hmm. Like there's a lot that went on and I think like probably honestly it's repression. Like mm-hmm. I, you know, it's not really something like at this point in my life, I'm kind of just trying to move on sure. to be honest. It sure. probably would be beneficial to like look more into it, but yeah, no, it definitely was during the school year because I remember, I remember teachers being worried. I remember questions I had one history teacher who actually just like added me on socials the other day. <laughs> so like it, which was kind of cool. Cause she helped me during high school. Like she was, I think she was the only person, the only adult that I had like a safe place in, um, in terms of at, being at school. So, wow. yeah. And do you remember how long you were in this place? It wasn't that long. It was, um, for in my case, at least it was like, it had to have been like a week and a half, two weeks. It and wasn't and too long. Back home after that. Yeah. Yeah. And if you can't, it's okay. Who hit you at this place? Was it your caregiver or? Um, it was some of the people running it. Yeah. Um, so then when when you went back to school and your parents, how was the relationship after that? There was like some level of like having given up kind of like it felt from them. Like they were just like, we're done. Like you're, you're going to age out of this soon. You're going to get out of, going to get out of here. And so at that point I just started feeling very like, like an unwanted guest in my you own were home. Like Seventeen-ish mm-hmm. at this time. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So I just, I just constantly felt like unwanted in the way they stopped. Like I'm not saying I was starving, but they stopped feeding me. Like they would make mm. food for the their other kids, and they didn't make food for me. They would go on vacation without telling me, and then like I you would see? be like, "Where are you guys at?" And they're like, "Oh, we're we're in Florida." And I was like, 
oh, okay, I guess I'll, you know, take care of the dogs. Like, all right. <laughs> um, so yeah, a lot of stuff like that started happening. And I kind of came to the realization, like, I have to make my future for myself. Like, there's no one that's going to come in here mm-hmm. and like, take me out of the situation. Like, no one's going to make me happy. No one's going to fix I, I don't know the situation that I'm in. I have to do it myself. And so I just, I started becoming just like vehemently like independent. Like I just realized I have to do everything for myself. Um, it was somewhere, it was a little before this, actually I'd started volunteer firefighting mm-hmm. really young. Actually I was 14 when I started. Um, I guess labor, law, labor laws are a little different in Idaho, but mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, so I was young. Um, and I started uh, volunteer firefighting and that was a big thing for me that helped me kind of pull myself out of that situation mm-hmm. is I realized like, I'm good at this. I have a passion for this. This can like take me somewhere. Mm-hmm. And I had like a couple different mentors um, within that, that I met and just you know, friends. And that kind of helped me realize like I can, I can get myself out of this. I can build something for myself. Was there any sexual abuse that you went under, underwent during your childhood in Idaho? Um, uh, not as like a kid. Okay. Yeah, as an adult, yeah, actually, yeah, that's not really something I've like talked about much either. And honestly, like, like I said, another one of those things that it probably would be good to like go to like formal therapy and dig of into. Course. Yeah. But um, I actually, it only kind of started coming back to me more clearly recently. Mm. Yeah, there was just a lot of situations, and it, a lot of this happened after, like I said, my parents had kind of hit that point of giving up. Mm. Um where I was kind of trying to like find my own and it was, I mean, it's, it's just so hard. Like I didn't have any money. I didn't really know like what to do with myself. So I was working at a, a dive bar when I was, I think I was 16 or 17 at this point, which is definitely illegal for surely. Definitely illegal. <laughs> In Idaho? <laughs> but, oh yeah. No, no, yeah. Most LDS people, mm-hmm. they're not supposed to drink. Mm-mm. No. So how, no. Did that, uh, so how did you get into that position? Um, the dive bar. So I'd had my first job at Taco Bell mm-hmm. <laughs> and then a bunch of the people there, um, had started working at this other place because they're like, Oh, we're making more money and you know, we can do whatever we want kind of thing. So, so I started, um, working there and I definitely had gone into some bad, some bad situations, some bad things happened to me. Mm-hmm. You know, it was hard. I had no one really looking out for me. And were you living at home at this time? <sighs> on and off. Yeah. It was, there was a lot of like, back and forth sure it's so hard to like like i said the timeline i don't I even know if i were to sit down and put it on paper i don't even know if i could put a timeline to all this but of course yeah it just was very like a very chaotic like teenage years i guess but um so some of this i was at home some of this i was living with at the time actually my my partner at the time and her mom um who i don't know like i definitely like hesitate to like say anything negative about them i guess sure. because they took me in in a yeah. time where i had no one else really but it maybe was like a bit of an unstable living situation in and of itself. Were they part of the LDS community? Definitely not. No, Um, definitely not. No, if anything, no, polar opposite. Yeah. So Mm. it was kind of just like me trying to, I think I was trying to get as far away from that as I could Mm. because there's not really gray area in Idaho, to be honest. There's not a lot of that. It's either kind of you're Mormon or you're honestly like you're into like drugs or bad thing, you know, other, you know, like generalized bad things. Like, mm-hmm. so that was kind of more where I found myself cause I didn't really have options. So I was staying with someone in like a situation that maybe looking back was definitely not like, yeah, stable mm-hmm. per se. How but, was your family trying to reach out to you at all? This is definitely like primarily at this point, the, the giving up mm-hmm. <laughs> stage. Yeah. They were just kind of done. So I would say like, Oh, I'm going to stay the night at my friend's house. And there was this like, I think, to a, de- a degree, like an unspoken understanding that she was my girlfriend. Like they knew that. Mm. Um, Cause like I said, initially I'd come out as a lesbian. So there was like an unspoken understanding, like this probably isn't a friend, but they just didn't care. Like they were so far past that. They're just like, we don't even like, we just don't, it felt to me like pretty clear. Like we just don't want you here. So mm. yeah, no. Did, so did the church try to reach out or anybody from there that are not too involved. I don't really remember much of that, like formally, but there was mm-hmm. a lot of like different like adults, I guess, and just like people who'd been involved in my life that tried or otherwise just were, I mean, just honestly like horrible to me, like just said like hurtful things, like um, would try to, I mean, some of them would try to be like, oh, we love you. We just don't, you know, accept your lifestyle, like things like that. But then other times it'd be things like you're going to, you know, go to hell and like you're going to burn and like you're, you know, ruining your like eternal future and like 
things like, you know, so different levels of like, but most of that was pretty, I guess like informal and like random. Like it would just be like different people from my past from soccer. He was usually from soccer. Cause I, I knew like half the people in the city mm-hmm. through that. Honestly, yeah. I knew a lot of people. So. And, and, yeah. then, and then when did you leave Idaho? How old were you? Um, I had just turned 18 and graduated high school and it was like a week after I graduated. Like I was out. Yeah. Where, where did you go? So I actually had gotten a full ride soccer scholarship, um, in Oregon, in Salem, Oregon. Oh wow. And yeah. Yeah. So, so you were being um, scouted when you were playing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I had to also like record videos and stuff. Cause it was kind of like so far away that it was what, like not 2000, but more than a thousand it was it was some distance yeah (laughs) so there was like some level of like me kind of like recruiting myself like making videos and like uh putting myself out there kind of thing so what um, position did you play on the i was a keeper yeah a goalkeeper oh that's awesome yeah and was it division one two or three school um let's see oh my goodness you know i think it was ncaa okay that's because it was community college yeah it's been it's been a while it was chemeketa community college in salem yeah 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 so the hard thing though was that it's a community college they didn't have dorms so mm. the living was definitely still on my own which is hard because like if anyone knows anything about college sports they're i mean it's a job like it's a job it's paying for your school mm-hmm. it's a job and so it felt like working two full-time jobs and going to school so it was it was hard mm. it was hard yeah no honestly like up until recently i mean even now like my life has been like generally hard like <laughs> like i don't know nothing's really like come easy for me per se what was your major in college so i'm still in college and i'm majoring in uh firefighting and paramedicine so i'm gonna do yeah how how was being on the soccer team were people different in salem um oh yeah oh definitely definitely yeah no for sure like i kind of started getting out more and realizing like the way i was raised i guess wasn't normal you know like there's all these people from different backgrounds and different kinds of lifestyles. And um, like, as weird as it sounds like different, like colors, different, different religions, ethnicities, because in Idaho, like, I don't know the numbers, but Mm -hmm. (laughs) predominantly white, predominantly white. Like, so in every sense of the word, like if you, you didn't fit into this like cookie cutter, you're just not like, you're just not a part of society sort of. So did your family send you off to college or were you all? Oh no, definitely not. No. Did they know no. where you were going or mm-hmm. did they say anything about it? Yeah. So we still to this day have some level of contact because my brother and sister are still living there. Mm-hmm. So we do still actually have some contact because of that. Mm-hmm. But if it weren't for that, I don't think. Yeah, no, but no, definitely they did not. No, they've never paid a cent for school or so, housing or no. So how did you have money to get an apartment and all that? <laughs> um, I didn't. <laughs> how did you do it? Um. I had, I think I left Idaho with a thousand dollars. I had like two and I put like a thousand down on like a piece of crap, like studio apartment, um, and moved over here and then had like, after the move, like 800 bucks. And I was like, well, that's one month of rent. So we'll live off dollar store food and we'll get a job. (laughs) And so I did, I got a job. Um, first I was I've done all kinds of weird, weird stuff, but I, I like coached soccer for a little bit, mm-hmm. which did not go well. Cause I don't, I don't do that well with kids. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so I did that for a bit. And then I actually, I've worked a lot of fast food just because it works well with my, my busy school schedule, like going to school during the day. So you were able to make it up mm-hmm. a thousand bucks to pay rent from that. Yeah. I think my rent was like seven fifty. So I was like, okay, we have like a hundred, you know, after that for food and it was tight. It was tight, tight for a long time. Yeah, no. And no, they, like I said, nothing's ever like been easy. Right. So the it's practice hard. was probably three, four hours a day, right? Yeah. No, oh, minimum. Yeah, no. So the majority of the first two months, which are two or three months, was preseason. And so we had three, three hours a day. So I'd have three hours in the morning, three hours in the middle, three hours at the end of the night for nine hours total. And then I would work. And when, so, you, when would you do your homework and study? In between, kinda, kinda. It was hard. Yeah, I mean, do you, you can take any loans out to pay for your living. I actually have not yet. I've been in school since I graduated high school, like on and off, just with trying to yeah. you know make it on my own. And um, I to this day I haven't taken a loan out yet. I'm mm-hmm. planning to with medic school coming up, but not yet. Yeah. Wow, that's amazing. <laughs> It's and, been crazy, yeah. And then how was life in Salem and doing all that? Tell me how that went. 
It was like, yeah, like, like a breath of like fresh air, honestly. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've always, one of my main draws here was the ocean. So that was something, I mean, even though I was like dirt poor, like I could usually afford gas the ocean and we just kind of chill there. Um, I moved here with my, with my ex actually. And that turned out to not always, it didn't end up being the most supportive relationship long-term, but in the beginning things were okay. And it was, it just felt good just to be out of that place and just feel like I could breathe and just like be myself. Mm-hmm. And Salem is still pretty, pretty balanced. There's mm-hmm. a lot, there's a lot of people with all kinds of different viewpoints. It's honestly not actually that left or liberal leaning. There's actually a lot of variance. So, and, and we don't have to talk about this, but you said your relationship was a little mm. bit maybe unstable. What was unstable about it? Pretty much just me starting to work out my gender identity. Things mm. got really bad after that. Yeah. Really? I, yeah. How, how did they get bad? Um, I remember how all that kind of started. It started initially with me wanting top surgery. That's something I've wanted for a really long time. Even when I was out as a lesbian, I was like, something is not, that was like a whole nother, that was a whole nother, mm-hmm. like, you know, but no, I started binding when I was, I think I was 16 or 17. Mm-hmm. So I'd been binding on and off. And then almost exclusively after moving to Oregon, I, I was binding almost all day, every day. I binded at work, um, soccer, I, someone actually from my team had hit me up the other day and reminded me about this. And it was something I had completely forgotten. I used to wear two to three sports bras. I'd mm. layer them on and I'd find like the tightest ones I could get. And I would layer them on and go run in the heat mm. and just like hope not to die, I guess. Like, mm. so, um, but anyways, like that was kind of becoming something that was more like prominent in my life is I was definitely like, I definitely not wanted, I needed top surgery. Like, how did you uh, start yeah. hormones and understand about transgender? Yeah. So that actually like almost entirely was the internet, like mm-hmm. almost just YouTube. Yeah. Cause I started realizing like, you know, like who can tell me more about what it's like to be trans than other trans people essentially mm-hmm. like not to be like harsh, I guess, but it's like, I don't understand really how someone who is cisgender could ever fully grasp. I think like come close, be super educated um, super well-versed, but like, I don't know if they could fully, fully grasp what it feels like to be trans and like mm-hmm. some of the like unique, like details and feelings, I guess. I don't know. So I started watching a lot of different YouTubers and like hearing in their own words, like sometimes even the same feeling described by all these different people helped me get like a more full understanding and like find, honestly, find the language for how I felt like, cause none of those feelings were new. I just didn't have a way to to put them into to put them into words until that point. So, and how did you start your transition? Yeah, to trans male. It was very like it's very gradual because the the top surgery thing was like very prominent. I always mm-hmm. knew I wanted that, mm-hmm. but honestly, testosterone was something that like I'm not sure how to explain it more than like it kind of creeped on me. Like I started realizing over time like something is wrong beyond just that. Like, and I would think, and I was like, okay, like you're binding, like you're flat as flat as you're going to be. You know, and I was like, something is missing still. And I don't know, I don't know what it is. Like, I can't put my finger on it. And then when I would watch, I would watch all these people talking about their experiences and their journey. I started to like hear myself in their words. Like I started to see myself in their experiences and realized like, I think that's what I, I think that might be for me. Like, I think, I think I feel like that, Mm -hmm. but I took a really long time to decide, like to take the plunge, I guess, like. I remember the, I finally had like called Planned Parenthood actually. And I set up an appointment with an mm-hmm. endocrinologist. It was it free there or do you have to pay for that? It was sliding scale. So oh, okay. I'm dirt poor. So I think I paid like 20 bucks or something, 25, yeah. not much. Yeah. But um, a lot for you. That's your food money. Yeah, that was, it was like, it was like a half a month of food, honestly, as sad as that sounds, but no. So I started watching like right before a lot of actually like detransitioner videos. Cause I wanted to see, I was like, well, I relate to so much of what these people are saying about needing hormones, wanting hormones, that being right for them, being affirming. But like, what about people who maybe thought that was the avenue for them and it wasn't? So I just kind of wanted to get the full spectrum and finally decided like, I don't relate to what they're saying, but I I know something is not right in my life. Like something isn't aligned, I guess. So I went and I went to my appointment and the same day, actually, the same day I left with the script, went home, filled it, and had my first, <laughs> did my first self-injection of testosterone that night. Wow. So it started moving really quick. How Once did that I feel? Yeah. So 
It was the weirdest. It's something I've never, like the only other thing I can compare to it was the first time I put on a binder and waking up from top surgery. Like it was absolutely life-changing. Like, mm. so I don't know like the numbers, the exact science on this, but sure. I know I did my shot and then I kind of forgot about it. Like I was chilling in bed. It's like watching Netflix or something. And it was like two hours later. And I was like, what is going on? Why do I feel some type of way? Why do I feel like, why do I feel like this? And I felt like, I don't even know how to, this is going to sound so weird. I almost felt like I had like almost like an out of body experience. <laughs> like it felt like something just clicked, like mm-hmm. something just like clicked into place. And I was like, wow, this, I haven't felt like this since I was a kid, since I would like take my shirt off and like jump in the pool since I would like, you know, like go around and do quote unquote boy things before I knew it was considered to be wrong. Now, you know, did, did Planned Parenthood require therapy or anything for the script or no? No, no, they're, yeah. um, oh, what's the word for that? You basically just had to go in, um, become educated, just literally mm-hmm. just by the provider, uh, get some paperwork on what testosterone would do to you and sign a paper that said you, you agreed to that. So I'm losing the word for it right now, but informed consent informed consent yeah. thank you yeah informed consent that's that was the basis they i think to this day they still do their um their hormone replacement therapy on so when what do you think about yeah. that you think that's fair or do you think people should go to therapy before getting hormones so i mean i don't know if this is like opinion an opinion shared by all trans people of course. but you know i don't really have a problem with it for you know a consenting adult honestly like i was 19 when i started testosterone I knew what I wanted and I don't know how much longer I would have made it without testosterone, without gender affirming care. I mean, honestly, I was getting to a point where I was just not, I just wasn't, I wasn't doing good. And I didn't, I didn't, I don't know how much I really wanted to be here anymore. Honestly, like it just, I knew something was wrong. I didn't feel like myself. And so for me, it was absolutely life-saving care. So, I mean, I don't know, but it's harder for me sometimes looking at like, underage kids and a lot of them are not starting hrt they're starting typically blockers Blockers, yeah right and that's very different but like in terms of actually starting hrt i don't know but for you think it's okay for kids to start hrt and blockers you think that's a bad idea i definitely think it could there like i said a lot of gray area and i think Mm -hmm. i might have to be even more educated on it until i could say even more have even more of a firm opinion but i think it's hard to say there's not any case where it could be important and life-saving i mean it saved it saved my life so who am i to sit here and say like you know this what like 16 17 year old kid like they don't know like mm-hmm. they need to just deal with it for two more years i have no idea you know what it feels like to be them i mean i what to a degree a, what but, about a nine or ten year old starting blockers do you, do you think that's okay so that's that's definitely one point where i need to learn a little more about like the exact science of that but my understanding of blockers my perception mm-hmm. at least is that it's putting it putting puberty on hold so I would need to know more about like, mm-hmm. what are the uh, implications of putting puberty on hold? Like, what does that do to your body and your development, like hormonally? Because it's not something I really know a lot about. But from my perception of it putting puberty on hold, I don't personally see any harm in doing that for whatever is the standard amount of time. I'm assuming you can't just be on blockers forever. Like, yeah. you know, I don't, I don't really know much about that. Like the exact. Um, like uh, protocols, I guess, but sure. yeah, but I mean, I, I don't really see any harm. And I actually have a, a cousin who I think, I think she is 13 now and she's actually on blockers because she, she expressed from a very young age, like this is, this is who I am. Like some of that stuff, is, I don't feel like it's my place to share, but she made it very clear that she, she did not feel like a boy. <laughs> so she is, she's on blockers. And in her case, like absolutely life-saving. Absolutely. LDS, Idaho. They were Catholic. They Mm. are. I'm not sure, honestly, at this point, because they actually moved out of Idaho shortly Mm. after that. I think it was a lot of because of the the community and the culture there. They actually live in. Oh, they live in Eugene now. Actually, yeah, they lived in Cali for a bit, but Eugene now. So, no, and so for her, life saving. So I think it's hard to say. I do think there's gray area with it. Mm. Yeah, and. How did you start thinking about top surgery after hormones? When did that come into play? So it was something I knew I needed for sure because um, I'd gotten my first binder from a trans friend at at Taco Bell, Mm -hmm. actually. And like I said, like that starting tea 
and like top surgery, like actual top surgery, those were like the pivotal moments of my life. And so when I put it on, I knew mm. when I was 16, I knew like I put it on, I looked in the mirror, saw myself from the side and sobbed for like three hours. I just could not stop crying. And I was like, yeah, this is what I need. So it was one of those how things you, like, how did you even know top surgery was a thing? YouTube? I think honestly, mostly my, my friend from Taco Bell initially, oh. like honestly, yeah. Um, because he kind of had expressed like that was his plan down the line oh. and it started. So I guess, like I said, there was a lot of things I think that made me aware of like queer people and like LGBT, you know, communities in my area. So there was just a lot of like different influences, I guess. But I think mm. he was one of the main ones in terms of realizing like what top surgery was and like that I needed it. So. Um, and then you started doing research mm -hmm. about top surgery. How did yeah. you hear about me being in Oregon? So honestly, that was pretty late. I'm not going to lie. Mm -hmm. Like I just didn't even, that was something I couldn't even like tr truthfully wrap my head around. Mm -hmm. I mean, I was living off food from the dollar store. Mm -hmm. I was going to food pantries. I was working 40 hours a week, barely paying my bills. Top surgery was something I knew I needed, but I was so trapped down under just weighed down under like society under bills under like the pressure and like expectations i just couldn't even like fathom actually getting top surgery mm -hmm. and so um i finally like years later i ended up getting a job with starbucks who actually almost entirely covered my top surgery mm -hmm. and so that was when i started realizing like this is something i actually can do um because i mean like i said i knew i needed it i would i passed out at work i think twice from binding I couldn't breathe. Yeah. And I was working, working in a hot, a hot food line, like food production. And, um, so it just, it was something I just, I knew I needed, but yeah. So it finally became like, started to become a possibility after getting that job. Mm -hmm. And they, um, thank God not only had amazing insurance, mm -hmm. but they have a trans advocacy group, specifically a trans advocacy group. And I had this guy, dope dude named charles mm -hmm. <laughs> who mm -hmm. i called and i was like yo like i don't even know what insurance is like i don't even understand this like what's a premium what's like an out-of-pocket mat like literally this man like sat down i'm sure none of this was even in his job description like poor guy but like he sat there and like outlined everything to me mm -hmm. you know and, like honestly like educated me and then i had to take a couple days and i sat there like I have a video of it because I took like a, like a screen record mm -hmm. of it. You know, I had like 67 tabs open looking at different top surgeons, like trying to figure mm -hmm. out. And one of the main things that drew me to you definitely was the the actual pictures of results, pictures and mm -hmm. videos. Cause a lot of them are either really new to it or they don't, they've maybe, they, maybe they are established, but they don't have pictures of results. And I'm like, why, mm -hmm. like, why would I go to you, dude? I don't even know. Like what are you going to get? Right. I don't know what I'm going to get. And so I really liked that that but then i liked the the actual results and i think like one of the main things was the um the liposuction because mm -hmm. it's hard like i'm i'm a thicker dude you know and like um i was so like i don't want to say terrified because i mean i could have honestly had like a hack job of a top surgery and i would have been like okay mm -hmm. i can you know keep living for now until i can get this figured out later but um you know like i was very nervous about dog ears you know mm -hmm. and so that was something for me that I was like, I don't see that really on many, like if any at all of his like larger patients, like whose bodies mm -hmm. look like mine, I wasn't seeing what I was worried about. And I think the liposuction was a big part of that. So. Mm -hmm. Of course. Absolutely. Yeah. It's the technique and the lipo. Mm -hmm. uh, well, that's wonderful. That's very, thank you so much for those yeah. kind words. And then you came in for the consults. Mm -hmm. How did that go? Good. Yeah. No, I mean, I was very, like very nervous and it was actually another um, situation where I, I drove up did it in one day and then came back down to Salem on one day. Mm. Yeah. So, I mean, I was kind of a mess, um, but I had, I'd done so much research just like with yeah, the rest you, of everything else. Yeah. You knew what you were yeah. going for. You know, Absolutely. Uh, yeah. The doctors in Oregon, mm -hmm. you weren't happy with some of their pictures. What was the situation there? Um, not enough or you don't remember now? Oh, I actually do. Yeah. So the other one that I was looking at, oh goodness, what was her name? But when I called, uh, I was, oh, Oh, mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> I called and they said, Oh yeah, absolutely. We can make you a consultation. Um, October of 2021. And I was like, you know, in all honesty, he's like, I'm not going to, I don't know if I'm going to be alive then. Are you mm -hmm. kidding me for a consultation next year, next fall? That was like a year and a half away from when I called. I was mm -hmm. like, I no, I'm so sorry. No. And I, that was like one of the bigger things for me. I just, 
it was just becoming a matter of survival. So I started trying to find something that it was hard, but like someone who was clearly skillful what they were doing. And I didn't have to wait a year and a half just for a consultation. So, yeah. yeah. And, and that, you know, that person's at the university. So mm-hmm. there's a lot more. Exactly. And right. And they can't do the mm-hmm. volume, you know? Yeah. I feel really blessed. I do, you know, some eight, 10, 12 a week, mm-hmm. quite a few. Yeah. Top surgeries. And so it's a privilege to do them. How do you feel now after surgery? Yeah. Like I feel like sometimes I've put in words as like, I feel like I have like a second chance at life pretty much honestly. Wow. Like, yeah. Like, no, it changed everything for me. Yeah. It's amazing. No, yeah. The happiest one of my life was waking up after. Really? Like, oh, yeah. Yeah, I remember yeah. you were so talkative in recovery. You were really <laughs> happy. Yeah. I told her about my cat. I was I like, guess. he's fluffy. Yes, <laughs> She's yeah. like, oh, okay. Where's he at? And I was like, he's in Oregon. <laughs> he's cute. <laughs> were you happy with the team that took care of you? Oh, yeah. Everyone awesome. was amazing. Yeah, no. I just felt very like, I don't know. I Sometimes I saw some of the other people and they had sometimes like adults with them. And I was like, I'm apparently I'm an adult. They say mm-hmm. allegedly, you know, but I just feel like some kid up here, like I was very intimidated, but I felt very like walked through the process, which was mm-hmm. something that, I mean, would definitely make me like recommend specifically like your office to someone else, because I had no idea what I was doing. I felt like annoying and like dumb sometimes, but like they, like everyone worked so hard to make me not like feel like that make me feel comfortable and like help me become informed and like honestly like walk me through it so it was amazing yeah but no everything has been incredible now i was holding off actually on getting an emt job because Mm -hmm. i couldn't i could not like perform the job duties Mm -hmm. as things were um so yeah i work as an emt now and uh i'm getting ready yeah to like i said to go to paramedic school and then firefighting um and the ultimate goal is, is structural firefighting so that's so cool and i'm so excited yeah are you still in your uh the university there the community college i am yeah so i actually took a gap year when i first started t because i just wanted to like reevaluate things and i i lost my housing again and like that relationship ended once i started t pretty pretty immediately after it, that relationship ended and like we, fell apart your partner wasn't no not supportive no no i mean some of it I think is like a little too personal to put in like exact words, but there was just a lot of like really hurtful things said. Mm. Um, and so I, yeah, that relationship ended like not that long after. And so I had moved out. I, I even actually ended up back in Idaho for a bit. Like, just like I said, lots of chaos, lots of like hardship. Who were you staying so, with in Idaho? You know what? I actually lived with my family, my biological parents. Yep. Oh, yeah. they, t- they took you back. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was, and you were it's taking been a ride. Tea, and you were taking tea. Yeah. They misgendered me almost the whole time. Oh. yeah 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 i had a beard and they were like yeah she did it and everyone's like what is who are you talking about so no there's just been a lot of like chaos and like that's why i just kind of like i'm at this point where like i kind of feel like i have my feet under me and i feel like things are still hard like i still go through things but like i get to wake up every day with a flat chest and like it just feels like everything's just that much easier like i just feel like myself i see myself when i look in the mirror like I mean, it's, it saved my life. So, have yeah. your parents seen you since you've had surgery? Um, not in person. No. Did they know no. you were having surgery? Yeah. Yeah. There was a lot of things that were said that were, no, like I said, it's just, it's been hard. So it, it's very surprising that I ended up back with them, but no. So they did know. And, um, what I they, think, can you tell us yeah. what they said or you'd prefer not no, to? No, it's okay. So yeah. So I had told them I was going they kind of didn't say much. They were on vacation with their their other kids, mm-hmm. um, if I remember right. And then I remember sending a picture after I got, I think it was after I got my drains out, I mm-hmm. think. And I sent them like a picture, just like I was like lit on my pain meds still, like in the mirror, like looking like a whole mess. But I was like, look, I'm safe. Like we made it, I made it back to Seattle, um, Linwood, whatever, but you know, mm-hmm. whatever. And um, my mom said, um something to the effect of like i don't want to see that like essentially Mm -hmm. (laughs) so i don't know i mean in retrospect i don't really know why i think there's just like a lot of like anger underneath Mm -hmm. everything so i think i was kind of like ha here you go like look i did it like Mm -hmm. i'm safe like it was just like i don't know i have kind of like a casual approach to things in my life i didn't really think it was gonna be that big of a deal but no definitely it was not uh well received so it's been hard but like for me at this point it's just kind of like I focus on the chosen family. That's like a big thing for me. Yeah. I don't have much, many people in my life that I would consider family that are blood. 
at this point, like most are like chosen families. And can you share what's your living situation now? Yeah. So, um, I live with my boyfriend mm-hmm. and his family actually. And, um, how long, four or five months now. Mm-hmm. And it's just been, I mean, it's been incredible. Like things have still, like I said, still been chaotic, still been hard at times, but like, I don't know the last time that I felt safe living somewhere, mm-hmm. which is, I've, you know, come to realize like, that's sad. Like that's sad. Mm-hmm. I deserved better. I really did. Um, not a bad, I'm not a bad kid. I wasn't a bad kid. I'm not a bad person. Like I deserve better. And I think I'm, I, I just, I'm finally like getting that. Like I finally have respect I finally have a relationship that's supportive and accepting and loving. And his family is just amazing. Like from, I mean, from day one, they have taken me in as part of their own family. Like I don't feel different than, than Luis. Like I feel like I'm part of that family. Like she cooks us food. Like mm. she was surprised. They were surprised when I was like trying to buy my own food. They're like, what are you doing? Like you can buy ingredients if you want for my mom to make dinner. But like, mm. what are you doing No, I'm like, show like if she goes out and gets the kids something she like gets us gets me and louise like something too and like no it's just it's been incredible i just feel so like accepted so that's great great. yeah it's been great that's amazing thank you so much for being our guest today oakley thanks for having me your story is so unique so special so many twists and turns right (laughs) yeah and um you know i think your uh your insights you've had are just amazing and I have learned a lot from you. I know your ordeal will teach our listeners how and what to expect as they start their own journeys. I appreciate your time and I'm happy to have you and I feel privileged to have you as my patient and I would even say friend. If you look back on your experience and you were talking to somebody who's in Idaho, similar situation, LDS, and you could tell them one thing, what would that be? I mean, it might be kind of like hard to hear mm-hmm. but i think like no one's gonna save you i guess like mm-hmm. you have to you have to make your own happiness i wouldn't even say find it per se you have to make it you mm-hmm. have to and you just have to make that choice like you know what what direction am i gonna go you know like do i want to be myself and if the answer is yes you you have to just throw yourself into it you have to make your own happiness and and build your own life for yourself, honestly, because no one, honestly, no one's going to come in and, and save you as, as unfortunate as that is. So. Mm-hmm. I agree with you. Absolutely. Yeah. In, in the, not many, not many things are given to us, especially in your situation. You've had to literally um, run a mile to get a, a centimeter, you know, if mm. you will. Yeah, no, it does feel like that. Yeah. Thanks for listening to the Plastic Surgeon Podcast. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts to hear more great content. Tune in next week for Clinic Talk. For my live surgeries on Snapchat and my adventures throughout the week, catch us on all social media at Real Doctor Seattle. See you next time. Bam. What?